Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. I genuinely love bringing this podcast to you every week, introducing you to people that I find very interesting and wanting to share their stories with you. It's, it's a pleasure, and I appreciate you listening. Something else I enjoy, no joke, it's American Pride Roasters Coffee. APR Coffee is the inaugural sponsor of At The Mic, and we're so excited to have them on board with us here. Do you realize you got Fat Tuesday? It's coming up rapidly, February 16th, and there's actually a coffee for that. King Cake is part of the Epiphany celebration honoring the night the Magi gave their gifts to Jesus, and King Cake parties, they happen all along the Gulf Coast from the eve of Epiphany until Mardi Gras. So now's your chance to order your APR King Cake coffee. Get that taste of a traditional New Orleans treat where cinnamon and sugar combine with the fresh roasted blend of American Pride Roasters coffee. Head over to APRCoffee.com and when you're ready to check out, plug in the offer code ATM, that stands for at the mic, ATM, going to save you 10% off your order. Then get ready for freshly brewed coffee delivered right to your door. That's offer code ATM for American Pride Roasters. Head to APRCoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. On this week's episode, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine named Tamara Colbert. Tamara is a public relations wizard with an exciting background in the business. She likes to be involved in everything and has even helped get a bill passed in the texas state house how cool is that she opened up for the first time about a traumatic experience she went through and she's most certainly a believer in what she calls divine appointments she and i sat down for this latest edition of at the mic i hope you enjoy the conversation with tamara colbert tamara thanks for making time Thank you for inviting me to be part of your show. Absolutely. And you were born in San Diego, California, right? San Diego, California. So I, I, I could go one of two ways with that. I could say, A, how does anyone leave San Diego? I hear it's perfect. The weather's always beautiful. Or I could go the other direction and say, so how long did it take you to escape California? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> that is an interesting perspective. I loved my childhood in San Diego. It, it truly, it, San Diego has the moniker of being America's finest city. And it really, a childhood in the 70s and 80s in San Diego was unbelievable. Um, surfing, beach life, uh, you're a couple hours from the mountains, right. just everything. California is an amazing state because within two hours, you could go from the beach to skiing, uh -huh. to mountain biking, hiking, all of that. And I just, I loved growing up there. It was amazing. And back when I grew up, I remember being in grocery stores and people be nice and helpful. And you always had someone help you out with your bags mm -hmm. and just America's Finest City. It was that for a reason. Pete Wilson was the mayor of San Diego. He ended up being governor of California right. at, at one point later in his career. And Ronald Reagan knew my uncle, who wow. was a city councilman. And in my cool. 4th of July decorations, I have a picture of the two of them together. So 
kind of politics. I've kind of been around politics I was say, in a roundabout way, but since childhood. Since childhood. Wow. Okay. So you grew up in San Diego. Mm-hmm. When did you actually leave? So really my last time in San Diego was after I graduated from high school. And of course, I'm like, I want to go to San Diego State. And that's where all the cool kids were going. The Aztec football team. It was just kind of a thing at that time. My parents had other plans. And so what I didn't know, they had already registered me for a Christian college in Riverside, California. And essentially, my parents had sneakily packed all my bags and put me in the car under the guise of going to dinner and we're driving and after driving for like 45 minutes and we're heading north were, and you, were you saying man i'm hungry where, i know where are we going <laughs> what restaurant and they're like well we're it's dro- called a cafeteria we are taking you oh. to college oh they dropped me oh, off no. in college in riverside california with no car no money and back then, you had to put dimes in a phone. So I there weren't cell phones Mm-mm. like we know now. And but Did you want to go to college, though? I did. Okay. I just didn't want to go to that Christian college. Oh, and so I've always been a curious person, fearless. I'm not intimidated at all by anyone ever. Mm-hmm. I don't care your position in life, <laughs> where you come from, your status, what community you live in. I've, I've never... I've always been fearless. I guess that's the best way to say it. And I think that put the fear of God in my parents <laughs> and the last place we they wanted get this me. We kid into a Christian school Yes, now. exactly. And you know, I got to be honest with you. I was mad. I was really mad. My mom will tell this story and say um, that I didn't speak to them for like three months. Wow. I was mad. Um, Had they enrolled you in classes and oh, chosen yes. everything yes. for you? Yes. This is your dorm room. This yes. is your roommate. I mean. Like, Two months before. Wow. They had it all planned. Did Literally your, all planned. It was amazing. Did your <laughs> new roommate, I assume you had a roommate? Or I did, no? who ended up being my one of my best friends That's of my whole cool. life. My so, first divine appointment was, was my roommate. And was she um, in on the joke then? She or? was not. Oh. She had no idea. She had no idea. Okay. And, and what's the name of the school? La Sierra University. I mean, it sounds beautiful. I I, right? not, I don't know anything it about it. It actually was a fabulous campus. Um, and what's interesting, I said, okay, well, I'm going to show you guys. <laughs> and my roommate, um, she passed away a year, almost two years ago of cancer. Sorry. My best girlfriend of 33 years um, and freshman, the f- opening day of college, my freshman year, I told her, I'm going to show my parents and I'm going to know every single person on this campus. And by the end of the school year, I knew every single person on that campus. Well, how many people are we talking about? How 1,600, oh, wow. 1,700 people. Oh my goodness. And what was interesting about it is when I got, to, and I went there all four years and through the communication program. And when we got to the, the evening that we were supposed to choose senior officers when I was a senior in college, I ha- actually had a class, so I was not able to attend that meeting. But when they said, who's going to be the class president, in my absence, every single person in that room said, Tamara is going to be 
the, the president. Uh-huh. So in absentia, I was voted president of the senior class of oh, college. Wow. Okay. And uh, so it was great. That is cool. <laughs> so you wanted to go to college. You just didn't know what your parents were cooking. Right. But did you know what you wanted to major in? Because you went on to major in communications, correct? Correct. The only thing I, I really thought I wanted to do growing up was be Barbara Walters. Mm. Either Barbara Walters, that was my first choice, um, or second choice was to be a sketch comedy artist on Saturday Night Live. Huh. And again, that's just another funny story that I loved Saturday Night Live from the time I was 11 years old, 12 years old. I've known every season, everybody. I used to be able to recite uh, Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo sketch uh, s- scenes when at 12, 13, 15, 16 years old. I had a, have a diary somewhere locked away with all kinds of sketches that oh, I've wow. written in my teen years. You gonna do anything with those? Um, my kids, I try to be funny for my kids, but was, I'm just not cool. I was just gonna say, Something that exists now that didn't in the 70s and 80s and 90s right. is YouTube, is social media. Why don't you put, I'm not sure not that sure is the gonna, direction that God wants me today. <laughs> okay. But, you know, I think that it plays well because the one <laughs> thing that I actually learned, I mean, I would stand in my bathroom mm-hmm. and rehearse my lines, look at facial expressions. And I guess there's a lot of actors that who are great actors today. This is what they uh-huh. did when they were growing up. And I just, I loved laughing. I loved making people laugh. And the funny story is that when I was a senior in high school, you know, I thought I was going to get the prettiest smile, Miss Personality, I don't know, something like that. I Again, I knew everybody in the school and I had been an officer my junior year. And doggone it, if they didn't vote me class clown my senior year of high school. Oh, did you not like that? I'm like, class clown, look at this smile, (laughs) you know, you don't think class clown, but again, you know, I just look at that, I look back on that, and I just think that's so me. Yeah, yeah, so so do you have any, because this has come up on previous episodes, do you have old tapes? Do you have those old tapes that you regret so, having? <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Whether video or audio. No, I have. So what's interesting is I look at, I am a I am a woman of faith and I've always been this way. And I try. So I do things. I wanted to be Barbara Walters. My senior year of college, I, I got several of my uh, department colleagues who were graduating with me, they filmed me at a news desk and I did a reel. And s- I don't know where that is. I probably should find that somewhere. Put that under that would and be key. so great. But, you know, so you know they what, did that. You know where that's going to appear at some point? Yes. That's going to appear at your like um, 50th wedding anniversary exactly. or something. Your kids are going to discover it and Correct. play it for everyone. Correct. <laughs> no, it, my kids will take it and put it on YouTube. There it is. And make some crazy comments <laughs> out of it. So that we did that I sent it out I obviously in Southern California so sent it out all over no 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 because Southern California is a top tier market Mm. obviously I learned that and then a couple years after that I I actually ended up getting a job I ended up falling back to public relations because I 
I can talk. And I happen to know media. So I understood how meat, television, radio, pitching, getting stories. I love being a story. I'm a storyteller. Which is why I thought you'd be perfect for this podcast. Well, by the way. you're awesome. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sure. And so many journalists today don't tell stories. Yeah. And I think we're hurting for great stories, superb content that inspires us, that ignites our passions, that promotes a drive to creativity and entrepreneurship. And we're losing those stories in media today because of the hyper-political, hyper-partisan environment that we're in. And, you know, what? it doesn't matter what politics were Walter Cronkite's or Mike Wallace, Edward Murrow. These guys were storytellers. And I think you're absolutely, I wanted to be that. Yeah. And I think you're right about how we're so hyper political, but it's also, we're so cookie cutter. Every Everybody is the same. How many examples are on YouTube of journalists uh, in, in every different town reading the same script that has just been funneled from one station to the next from a a larger corporation. And there is no individuality. I don't ever want to be part of groupthink. And I've always told people, I am not for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta gotta start working that phrase into my own vernacular. I'm just not. (laughs) Um, I literally have had people who have told me to my face, they hate me because I am happy. Mm, Wow, that's... I had the speaker of a state house once tell me how irritatingly positive I was and that over his dead body, would I ever get legislation passed? Oh. That person will remain nameless. But I know that you've... I did get legislation legislation passed, passed. so needless to say, with a few tens of thousands of my closest friends and colleagues. So I am not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think communication, I love communication and I love media. It is extraordinarily powerful. And through storytelling, again, we can uplift, we can divide, we can encourage we can discourage. Mm -hmm. And so much of media today, as you're saying, is so cookie cutter that we have lost the ability to tell great stories. I actually think this is affecting Hollywood. The last decade, what do we see? Cookie cutter stories that are the exact same. The only thing that is different is the set. And the other night, this is a perfect example. During COVID, over the last eight months, we haven't, all the movie theaters have been closed. Entertainment has been closed. What have we got? Uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, you know, pay-per-view, whatever. I have to say that I can probably count on both my hands the um, number of movies that I have rented, actually, in eight months. Yeah. Why is that? Because I look at everything and the content is lousy. Mm-hmm. The content is lousy. And a lot of satanic, interestingly, satanic influences out there in movies, in television. And I just think our world needs a lot more positivity right, right. now in a variety of ways. And people in media have the microphone mm-hmm. and an ability to bring people together. So let's stay with your communications background. 
you actually hosted your own radio show back in the day, right? I did. I like to think I am a blessed person. The Lord has given me so many incredible divine appointments that have have transitioned my opportunities into something even more, I, I want to say not just miraculous, but really um, stepping stones to learning about myself, to learning new things. And I look at my public relations career and I really don't want to say it was a fallback career because public relations has afforded me opportunities to get into things, to meet people like having my, being able to have my own radio show in 2012 called your voice with Deb and Tam. And I had a co-host and it was great because between the two of us, we knew a lot of people. This was out of Salem. This was on the Salem radio Mm -hmm. network. We, uh, did the show out of their Glendale, California office. And we happened to know quite a few great people and some of them celebrities that we were able to have on the show, got to meet a lot of people through that opportunity and have continued to, to come full circle with public relations, but continuing on the media path. And I got to tell you, I'm just like you, I love radio, mm-hmm. radio, Um, I think in the late 80s, it was actually, I think, before Rush Limbaugh really came on air, what he did for terrestrial radio and talk radio is so pivotal to all these fabulous talkers that we have today, women and men. Yeah, it was a sea change, not only among um, political conversation, but just radio in general. Absolutely. I mean, it, was, it was something that you weren't even thinking of talk radio as a career option no. before Rush kicked open the doors. No, the only radio career option before Rush was DJ. <laughs> you mm. know, you were golden oldies, you know, yeah. the wolf, you were country music, you were rock and roll. You, that There were very limited, or pop, there were very, very limited uh, choices to radio. In fact, I was a regular for five years um, at a Houston station for these last five years, Sam Malone morning radio program. And he started in radio in the 70s as a disc jockey because there was no talk radio. And so what I love is the really great hosts, Rush Limbaugh started, Mm Mm-hmm sports radio Mm -hmm. and as a dj right in sacramento again there was nothing so he opened these doors to create media a whole new media genre that's been a fabulous open door for so many talented professionals and i think before rush limbaugh came along the idea of just talking on the radio for a living wasn't even a concept can i add to that yeah (laughs) because (laughs) I am a professional talker <laughs> from the time, literally, my mom tells a story. Yeah, how, how, how old okay. were you when your first uh, complete uh, sentence came out? I was very young. And the way, again, I w- we should have invited my mom to kind of participate because she could tell some really great stories. She remembers me in the crib at four o'clock in the morning, every morning. Gaga, goo, goo, mama, 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 literally ready to go. At the crib, smile, talking, ready to go. 
that is me for my entire life. I have two speeds on and off. Uh That's my dad says two (laughs) speeds on and off. And when I really fine tuned my professional talking career was when I discovered the telephone as a teenage girl. And how long was the telephone cord in your house? 25 feet. (laughs) And I will never forget when I hit professional status, there was a $700 phone bill. And I had to go and stay at my grandparents' house for a weekend because my dad was so mad. You were in hiding. Oh, I was I was in the witness protection program <laughs> for phone talkers because it was seven hundred dollars. Are you kidding? I will never. Who are you calling? I mean, there were times that I remember my girlfriend and I would be fall we'd fall asleep on the phone. But wait a minute. Uh, that was back when there was no regulation. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I, I'm not. How old were you? I had, this was high school. Okay, but. Was your best friend not in the same school district? No, no. And I would go to summer camp. So I'd have friends from Central California, the eastern part of the state, El Centro, Mm -hmm. all of that. So we were all, you know, chatting it up all the time. Yeah. I got you. So I I am a trained professional talker. (laughs) And your primary career path, both in the past and currently is in public relations. Correct. Correct. And I think it's funny, I talk about the email I send out and you put a little note in there about how you once, when you were getting started with PR, you were also working at the Banana Republic so you could get the nice discount to help oh, your yeah. uh, wardrobe a, for your PR. A woman after <laughs> all, come on. We gotta figure out how this can work and I still have a pair of leather pants I bought for $5 that I can fit into. So thank you very much, Banana Republic. Like I would work Ah. there either one evening a week and then the weekends. Uh And I had a fabulous wardrobe. And as someone in PR, you've probably, whether they were clients of yours or just at events or uh, media appearances, I can't imagine how many famous people you have okay so this is a great story so uh i I have had a great pr career and i was working for a pr agency one of the largest in the country it still is one of the top three largest in the country i was out of their san francisco office and i was a an account director and one of the accounts i was managing was the hewlett-packard corporate account and that corporate account was for the c-suite so that's a big deal. And that was in the day Lou Platt was, now I'm going to date myself. Lou Platt <laughs> was kind of a, a good old boy CEO. He was the last of the good old boys CEOs. And I'll never forget, this was right before he retired and we brought on Carly Fiorina as the first female CEO of a Fortune 50 company. Mm. And one of my best leadership lessons I learned from Lou Platt when he was the CEO of Hewlett Packard. And I was leading a team of PR professionals at their, at the time, their e-server launch in New York City. 
we had 700 journalists that we had flown in from all over the world, four continents, not including North America. And it was at Cipriani Plaza. We had rented it out. We had a massive thing happening. And our team was at Cipriani setting out the press books, the briefing books. It was two o'clock in the morning and the launch was happening at 8 a.m. that same morning. At 2.15 in the morning, in walks Lou Platt with donuts and coffee. He is the CEO of a Fortune 50 company and he showed up to personally thank us and brought us donuts and coffee and said he recognized how hard we were working. That is an extraordinary leadership example. I have never forgotten that. I'm not sure how many Fortune executives behave in that same exact way. But, you know, through that and that opportunity, I was able to meet people like I'll use Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. It was during his first go at being Prime Minister of Israel. And it just so happened that was an HP event, huge event we were having. And I I happened to be heading to the bathroom. Who is coming out of the men's room but Benjamin Netanyahu? And I had just read the book about his brother who led the raid on Entebbe, which was the Jewish hostage situation in Uganda. I had literally just read that book. So I see him coming out of there and I have a, my mind does this really strange thing when I read or when I watch people on TV or I listen to them. Somehow I feel like I know them. There's a weird thing that clicks in my brain. I walked right up to him, hand out, Prime Minister Netanyahu, it is a pleasure to meet you. Totally confident. There's no one I was about to around ask you, us. Was security hanging except out with him for the Mossad, oh. except uh-huh. for his Secret Service detail. And all of a sudden, and we have a conversation in in this hallway of a major Las Vegas hotel conference area. And all of a sudden, I remember at one point as he's talking, I kind of look around and there are six Secret Service agents that have formed a circle around us with their backs to us watching Mm. to see what was going on out of our little conversation. We must have stood there for 10 minutes and we had a conversation about politics and life and uh, sharing the story and listening to him tell me about his brother, who was actually the only person killed when they rescued those Israeli hostages on the tarmac Mm -hmm. in Uganda. And what an incredible... That is cool. Opportunity. I I, kind of secretly have on my bucket list being able to meet him again someday and just to kind of say, you know, you were again, what a what an inspiration. He he didn't have to do that. He was the prime minister. I was no one in his world. And again, what a tremendous opportunity that I've been blessed with through public relations, Mm -hmm. through radio experiences to be able to have these divine appointments. So was it within the realm of public relations and um, 
working in that arena where you met the love of your life, John, who's a great guy, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just just curious if if Mm. that's where you guys cross paths. Wow, now I have to tell the secret. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. This is good. You ready? Okay. I didn't didn't realize we were uh, uncovering a secret here. No, it's actually, again, it's a great story. I love stories. (laughs) Um, I actually was doing public relations for his company. Ha! Look at that. And he was a senior vice president at his company. And I was heading up the, I was the external public relations consultant for his company. And it just so happened that um, I was starting graduate school and I thought I was all that and a business bag of chips. (laughs) I was serious business woman. Let's revisit that. There's a, there's a difference between a bag of chips and a business bag of chips. Oh yeah, it was, it was like potato, just regular (laughs) Lay's versus. All right. Uh, Hawaiian style kettle chips, right? So, you sorry, know, sorry, so I put you elevated. in that position where you actually good. had to respond to that. You're elevated, <laughs> right? I just thought it, I was, I'm a serious business woman. Yeah. And again, I just say I'm not for everyone. Okay. We won't discuss dating because I have scared more than one man away. Again, because I like to have real conversations, I speak truth. Yeah, guys don't like that. I don't know if you know this. I learned that. (laughs) (laughs) I I did. Yes, I actually did learn that. And right before I ended up meeting my husband, I had written out in my journal a list of all the qualities. I said, I am not dating anybody until I have a man that has all of these qualities. And I just figured I'm laying it all out to the Lord. Here's what I need for a sustainable, awesome relationship who is a life partner, friend, amazing person who actually loves me for who I am. And I think it was a full college-ruled notebook page of qualities down to the eye color, by the way. Oh, my goodness. I am just saying height is listed. Eye color. Are you sure that that this guy uh, wasn't generated in a machine? It's possible (laughs) because he's that good and amazing, right? It is possible. And um, and that was probably a couple months before I actually met my husband. I had been working for his company for a little while. And um, it, it was their annual conference. And... He tells the story differently than I tell the story. Don't we all? Like, I know, Carrie right? and I it's have like, the stories about the same events, but... The, the perspective, it's right, interesting. Right, right. Right? Exactly. So. I think my story is much, much better <laughs> than his story. But he noticed me working the event. Uh, you know, I had PR, I had journalists there in meetings, doing all these different things. So I'm running around and he's kind of paying attention to me and I was the serious businesswoman, so I'm not doing anything I'm not going out to eat I'm not drinking with any of these people that's just not my scene I am your PR person and so we go through the four days of the conference and the day I'm leaving for the airport happens to be the founder of the organization and another gentleman who happened to be one of my both of those gentlemen were my husband's best friends and I said hey I have a rental car and I'm heading to the airport you guys want to catch a ride 
So we're driving to the airport and the entire time we're driving to the airport, they knew he had already pointed me out to these two gentlemen. Uh Uh-oh. So they knew he was interested in me. I didn't know this. So they're asking me questions and it ends up we were on the same flight going back to California from, from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They're asking me questions. Are you married? And I'm thinking, you guys, this is a little bit personal. And meanwhile, <laughs> uh, by the end of that flight, they had set us up on a date. Oh, look at that. And a week later, we went on our first date and we've been together ever since. So y'all lived in the same city then? We lived in the oh, same city. And it, it really was, again, a divine appointment. I love it because storytelling... I love divine appointments. By the way, nobody can take this. That is going to be the title of my memoirs someday. You better copyright that before this. So I need to do that. You're right about that. (laughs) Divine appointments um, in media. And so that's it. And we've been together ever since. So again, my, my PR career has taken me wild and far. And I, uh, again, as an aside, my PR career has enabled me to work in 70 countries around the world. Wow. Produce 50 documentaries um, and shorts uh, for organization, nonprofit organizations. And again, I have seen the best and the worst in humanity through that career. It's been pretty amazing. Yeah, I bet. So you and John, you're the parents to three boys. Three boys. And obviously, you guys are great parents. You're you're raising your kids right. According to whomever you're talking yeah, to. Sure. I like to think my kids think we're pretty cool. Right, right. You're an adrenaline junkie. Yes. He is when an he, adrenaline okay, junkie. Okay, so both of you guys enjoy so the our outdoors. Our kids are adrenaline junkies. Okay, cool. So what are some of the things you guys do? So, well, our oldest son, because of this, obviously he rides dirt bikes, but he's a certified skydiver. He's a certified diver. He's in the Our oldest son is in the military. He's a staff sergeant in the Air Force. He has traveled all over the world with his job, and as such, he got certified. He does skydiving everywhere. He's uh, scuba diving all over the world, whatever. So, yes, he is an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> Our twins are flip masters. They they want to be stuntmen because, again, I think that— There you go. Right? See? Uh-huh. Adrenaline, uh, bring rush, it full circle, right? They're doing quad <laughs> flips. This they got invited to be part of, um, compete in what's called the GT Games, which is oh. a garden trampoline games. That wait, they're great. My kids are yeah, the twins are crazy. I thought it was familiar until you the GT Games. So you told me what GT stood for. Yeah, so it's another. There's a couple of GT. This is called the GT <laughs> Games, and it's the garden trampoline games. And they were one of 200 kids nationally chosen to compete. Um, in this exhibition of flipping, tumbling skills. Although they probably wouldn't want me to say tumbling. They would say flipping. <laughs> yeah, come on, mom. They're expert flippers. Not- <laughs> We're flippers, mom. That's fun. That's fun. So what do you guys do? What do we fun do? Fun outdoor stuff together we then? Do. As we do. We go motorcycle riding. We go hiking and mountain biking and skiing. Mm-hmm. And uh, next summer, we're going we're, we're gonna to get a little scrappy boat and teach them how to do wakeboarding and that. Now, the twins are in, obviously, our older son is out of the house, but our twins are in ninth grade. And, you know, as a mom, 
I'm in a panic because I, it's only three and a half years that I have left until they go away to college. And, you know, if I talk about it, it will make me tear up. Yeah. When I think about all these last things I want to impart on them, I want to teach them, I want to train them. And, um, and so we, we just love being outdoors. We love being active. We love exploring when they were little and we would do, you know, summer vacations wherever we were we love bigfoot as a family that's your family it's, thing yeah, that's kind of our, we're gonna be the oh ones yeah, we're going squatching we're going squatching Squatching. <laughs> so you know there's just you know to be outdoors to be exploring life not stuck behind cell phones and televisions mm-hmm. yeah that's what we try to do i don't know what it is or some block in my mind but whenever i think of extreme outdoor activities or doing something like that for whatever reason i mean this this scene will scar you for life but the opening scene from the movie cliffhanger comes to mind Gosh, that is my husband right? That's totally my husband. Right. Oh, that, he, that's does what he does all that. He yes, does that ice climbing, climbing like that. So that's what he, I was going to ask you. Do you guys do oh, crazy stuff like I that? I do not do that because I have a fear of heights. Okay. I am not getting on a rock, on the side of a rock with little cords. Yeah. It ain't so happening. So you know the scene I'm talking about. I know. I mean, who doesn't, right? That's one of our favorite movies. <laughs> okay. We're 80s people. So Come on. How, how risky do the activities get for y'all when you go outdoors? Well, he used to take Aaron when Aaron was living at home, when Aaron was in high school and they go out and do rock climbing and ice camping and ice climbing and all of that again no not mommy's favorite time i'm a pass yeah mom passes but mom rides a dirt bike okay mom rides a dirt bike that's cool right so from that standpoint i will say with the twins um you know we're we still do some of the adrenaline stuff but moving from southern california to dallas texas there's you don't have the accessibility of rock climbing in your immediate, you know, you can't get in your car and in 45 minutes be in Joshua tree. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or big bear or Mount San Jacinto, that kind of a thing. So we do what we can do here in this area, but they still, we do climbing at some of the climbing gyms and okay. different things like that. How long have you all been in Dallas then? Oh my goodness. Oh. Going to be eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So, the outdoor fun that's that's hobbies that you enjoy but you also list the constitution yes as one of your hobbies we love the constitution well so the constitution is a very interesting thing because and underrated can we and totally underrated (laughs) totally under assault underrated uh, not appreciated enough right and not taught enough as far as i'm concerned um to our young people today I was born into a conservative Christian family who American values. This is what we stood for. I've got, I've got pictures of me as a child in red, white, and blue flag t-shirts and get-ups and all this. And it's just how we lived, right? It helped that my dad was in the Navy. Service was important to us. Our country was awesome. I still remember my parents putting all of us around the TV to watch the hostages come home from Iran Mm. 
We had yellow ribbons around our property until they came home. We watched Ronald Reagan debates. We watched him election night. We watched the inauguration. And that was back in the day when you had tube TVs and you didn't have DVR or even a VCR to record. You literally had to watch it live. Yeah, if you were in front of the TV, you missed it. Right? History. Oh my goodness. I remember all of my brothers, my sister, my parents watching the 1980 men's Olympic hockey team USA win against the Russians and then go on to beat Finland for the gold medal. I mean, history is amazing. So my parents really promoted this love of country. And and then in about 2009, my dad, as he's retired, uh, a couple years before started looking into our family tree. And then he found out that Uh, My mom is the 10th great granddaughter of Captain Miles Standish. Oh, cool. So then history is alive. Your family has been part of American history from from that moment. Yeah. The 1600s. Are you kidding? All of a sudden, it just awakened something in me that made me feel like, wow, I have a legacy. I have to represent now because I've got something that's extraordinarily special and I wanted to do it justice. So I started really going back and looking at our founding. And in 2009, my love of the Constitution and working grassroots, I was a co-founder of a tea party in Pasadena, California. I was friends with um, a gentleman that you might have heard of, Andrew Breitbart. Mm Mm-hmm who was very generous with his time and help for what we started there and started with just two of us and an idea. And when we moved from California to Texas, there were 20,000 people in that Tea Party working still on legislation at the state level and initiatives and information and diff- and becoming active in a way they'd never become. And, and they are still active today, which is amazing. And my husband as such also ran for Congress in 2010. He ran against Congressman Adam Schiff. Obviously we know how that turned out, but a lot of amazing experience. We participated in constitutional self-governance and the ability to run for public office and to serve your community. We experienced the constitution and history and the founding of this nation in a way that Unless you do it, you will never know it. You will never, unless you do it, you cannot ever really understand how the Constitution was set up for Americans to be self-governing, for the individual to be supreme, and to be the one that is helping guide legislators into legislation and policy and governance that benefits all people no skin color involved, no religiosity involved, right? This is something that our system of government is transcendent if we can just get behind it and truly understand it. And so what is it you want to do with the Constitution going forward? You talk about how it's a hobby of yours. You know, in reality, the amazing thing that I have been able to do over the last decade is grow grassroots, when I say that again, grassroots, the term grassroots has kind of been marginalized. 
by people in the media, unfortunately, instead of using that to empower people to achieve and to be engaged civically right where they live, right? Founders said all politics are local. And that's actually the most power we have is locally. And so moving here in Texas, I volunteered to be the state director for the Citizens for Self-Governance and their project called the Convention of States and helped raise up a kind of a core group of leaders. And then eventually after about a year and a half, two years, when we were at 60,000 people, it was hard to be a director on your own brought on a, a, my uh, partner in Liberty, I call him Paul Hodson, extraordinary man. And we grew that organization to now it's well over 200,000 volunteers in Texas. I was the um, the bullhorn. I was the person willing to be the, the whipping girl, right? For the wrath of legislators who didn't want to do what we wanted them to do. We had to get them to yes. And the only way to get them to yes is grow a massive grassroots army mm-hmm that was omnipresent, that they could not say no to. And so you learn along the way just by, again, by doing. Oh my goodness, my life. I've learned more by doing than by studying what I've learned in the last seven years since 2009 about doing civically, constitutionally, is extraordinary. I I might as well have a PhD, a citizen PhD in constitutional studies and the effectiveness of growing people and educating people to speak for themselves. I'm in process of getting, finishing my master's degree. I'm in my final class. I, by the time this airs, I will have my master's degree. Congratulations. Thank you. And, um, am currently working for my teaching certification here in Texas. And I would like to teach. On what kind of level are we talking about? What kind of classes? So I would love to teach middle school or high school. And if I could teach, uh, I would like to teach history and bring history a living, alive, vibrant perspective of America's history to the classroom. That could be a nonpartisan perspective for young people on you are making history every day. You have a future that enables you to make history. What every day is your choice to step closer to your personal history and to being part of the great fabric of American history. And as a Christian, there are moments where you do feel a prompting mm-hmm. that this is an opportunity and a new direction that some doors that are opening. And so I see that as an opportunity and getting my teaching credential and putting myself out there. It is one direction I would like to go and explore that direction because imagine being a history teacher that instead of being a teacher at 23 and retiring at 43, trying to figure out what am I going to do now? A history teacher that's actually passed legislation that has created something that has spent thousands of hours public speaking and in the, in the state and federal legislature, accomplishing things, working with legislators on legislation and creating history moments in history that will always be there. Have you thought about teaching civics? 
<laughs> and civics as well. Yes, whatever. You know, there's civics, there's U.S. history, there's U.S. government. So there's different facets of that. And so whatever I would get an opportunity to teach, I would love it. I like it. That's exciting. I mean, that's always been kind of in the back of my mind. If I were doing anything else than what I do now, what would I want to do? I've thought on more than one occasion in my life, I'd like to teach history. And I kind of think, I don't, I don't want to have to keep a room full of kids under control. I just want you to sit there and listen, you know? Trust me when I say <laughs> those kids, I'm not kidding. Like I've, I've actually been thinking about this, you know, even though there's certain requirements, it truly is up to the teacher. There is still a certain amount of autonomy that teachers can bring to make an environment as creative as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you, here's some fundamentals we have to learn. But here's your sphere of influence and your parameters, and you can use your creativity and your skills to work something in those parameters. So you're learning these fundamentals. And I think there's a way to do that even in this. Think about it. With podcasts, I could literally get George Washington on a Zoom call to join me in a history class. That's good stuff. I'm serious. That's I funny. know somebody who plays Sam Adams and oh. John Adams, who's in California, and that's a, he can recite all of John Adams' greatest speeches. I mean, you know, think about we, are, we have more connectivity than ever. Yeah. So make learning fun. Yeah, and I guess if you do some of these classes where you have like these guests from the early days in the American founding, I've got some people in mind that might be able to help you, like a Lewis and Clark uh, impersonators. We lived in New Jersey. Don't hold that against us. No, it's all good. Uh, but over in Pennsylvania, just across the river, was a place, I can't think of the name of the town right now, but they had these history dinners where you would make reservations and the what? characters would walk around and stuff. Oh, I, yeah, and, they and, would have hated me because I would have been there all the time. Well, we were there quite a bit. It's awesome. Like there was like Lewis and Clark one time and I, we had just learned about them and we've learned about thunderclappers. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with thunderclappers. Thunder what are thunderclappers? So Dr. Benjamin Rush for Lewis and Clark, he invented these little pills, these laxatives for them to take. So Lewis and Clark took them on the trail and when they got constipated, they would take these these pills that they ended up referring to as thunderclappers. Oh my goodness, that's okay. the because heaven forbid, should you want to get constipated on so, the trail for exploring well, America? Well, the reason these uh, things worked so well is because Dr. Rush put a little drop of mercury in them. Oh my. Goodness. In fact, what they've done is they've been able to go back and realize they had the Lewis and Clark Trail in some places up to a mile off from where they thought it was based on where they found these traces of mercury here 200 years later. Get out of town. And so the characters came around, Lewis and Clark came around to our table. And uh, and That's so amazing. my oldest, uh, I'm trying to think how she was at the time, 10, 11. I said, yeah, ask them, go ahead and try. And so they come over. And they did their little spiel, and I'm Meriwether Lewis. <laughs> right. Goes, I've got a question. Oh, um, no. Can you tell me about Thunderclappers? And they broke character. They just started laughing. Because they, they knew what it like, was. Oh, my gosh. Somebody knows what these are. <laughs> that is fantastic. But I'll try to remember the name of that restaurant, and I'll give you the information, because I could see those characters, because you would, like, 
Yes. Like this Friday night, it's Lewis and Clark and right. Abigail Adams. Right. And next Friday night, it's George Washington. That's right. And yeah, it's, it's totally pretty cool. So stuff. many fun yeah. things you can, as an aside to Lewis and Clark, we have a Newfoundland. We love our Newfoundland. Lewis and Clark had a massive Newfoundland. He was 200 plus pounds, and his name was Seaman because he could swim like nobody's business. Right. And he was on the Lewis and Clark Trail. He was so huge and black because Newfoundland at that time, the only Newfoundland color was black that the Native Americans thought they had a pet bear. (laughs) That's how huge semen their dog was. And at one point, the dog was kidnapped and Lewis and Clark led a rescue mission to reclaim their Newfoundland (laughs) before the Indians, the Native Americans you know, did something or killed it or whatever. Yeah. So isn't that cool? Anyway, that's what you do when you have a dog that you love. You just do a little research and find out. And George Washington, by the way, also had Newfoundlands. His favorite dog, his name was Gummer. And he would, when George Washington would, loved going hunting. That was one of his asides. And he took that dog everywhere again. He'd go duck hunting. That dog could swim, get the ducks. Newfoundlands can dive 20 feet and hold their breath. That is so cool. Yeah. That's so anyway, so cool. there you go. A yeah. little extra little bonus of dog history on our history walk. Before we get too far away from it, I want to circle back to your PR career from the earlier days. Tell us about a story from the red carpet of the Born Supremacy premiere. Are we able to talk about this? Sure. I love public relations. Um, I have had an opportunity to work in the fashion industry, doing communication, worked with Lucky Brand Mm. Jeans, Hardtail, love both of those brands still to this day. Uh, Had lots of just great opportunities to learn in the industry and see some crazy stuff that uh, I will never talk about because... (laughs) In PR, sometimes you are a walking NDA, and you just don't want to kiss and tell. Or you'll, a non-disclosure yes, agreement. Yes, <laughs> you will never work in this town again. That is right. legitimate. But the, we can talk born supremacy because it was really cool. I had an opportunity to be a publicist to support the uh, Universal Pictures um, red carpet activity for the born supremacy launch, which as you know, was um, Matt Damon was playing Jason Bourne. I believe this was the second in the series. And so I got to be the publicist in charge that evening and managing the red carpet. And it's such a crack up because I'm there off camera greeting all the limos as they're showing up and Ben Affleck and I mean, the A-list of A-list of LA showed up for, you know, these are kind of the modern day version of the Rat Pack, right? Brad Pitt was there, Don Cheadle, holy cow, all these guys. And then of course, here comes like the bachelor of bachelors, George Clooney. And it just was an extraordinary opportunity to, to work that. And I, it just so happens that I had brought my best friend. She was down visiting from Idaho and I had brought her to help support me and wrangle celebrities, keep them on the red carpet, direct them where to go, you know, for the step and repeat so that the photographers could get their pictures and then lead them into the theater and all of that. Well, then there was the after party as well. There was a picture that appeared the next week in Us Magazine, and somewhere in my files, I have a copy of it, 
with George Clooney on the red carpet, and it looks like an angel is on his shoulder, and that happens to be me. And I am in the far enough background (laughs) on the backside of the red carpet that it looks like I am standing on George Clooney's shoulder. It was hysterical when I I had so many friends call me and say, you won't believe this, but you're on George Clooney's (laughs) shoulder for the Born Supremacy premiere front page picture. I will find it. Yeah. You send and, it to and me. make sure that you have a copy of that Please. it is somewhere in a box in the garage yeah. with just old keepsakes and um and then the after party again was so fun because uh-huh. you know i'm having to there were other celebrities that wanted to say hello to matt damon and get a photo with them so there's a whole Do they have to go through thing. you there yes ah. no soup for you <laughs> right you're out um, Bruce Willis coming up, tapping me on the shoulder and just uh, Serena Williams. I mean, on and on Brett Ratner. I mean, just incredible people, really cool. some of whom were, were at the beginnings of their, their A-list career. And so getting to, to be part of all of that, that Hollywood and kind of yeah. glamour and the red carpet and Hollywood and Vine being shut down because your premiere is there. And wow, really cool stuff, right? That's fun. Um, Out of all of that, I have to tell you that I think my favorite moments, though, in in my professional communicator life were the ones where I was speaking in front of people, working with super talented people, because I've never been a person where I am a know-it-all, where I think I know it all. I think there's opportunities to learn from experiences that you have. And I think the best leaders of today are people that learn great techniques from others and can implement those to best case scenario, to best leadership principles. Again, Lou Platt and his scene, what he was like, and Benjamin Netanyahu's kindness towards me, even at his stature and professional stature, he didn't have to do that. And so taking all of these things, you know, uh, I, I will say, I don't have a bad thing to say about George Clooney. He was very gracious, very humble, very kind to me, you know, um, and I look at that and Bruce Willis, funny, witty, charming. Again, here we are interacting and being able to take things. And then I think the part of my career or where I was traveling around the world and meeting people right where they live in these kind of third world environments, in war zones, in natural disaster zones, bringing relief there, doing documentaries. Um, I'll use an example of being, um, it's called the Mountains of the Moon on the border of Uganda and Zaire and getting to spend a day with one of the last remaining pygmy villages in the world and seeing how they live Mm -hmm. and eat and work and communicate and wow who gets an experience right. like that because you mentioned you've been to over 70 countries that has to rank up there as one of the most memorable yeah absolutely but again i always go back to people i love people and i'm fascinated by people and i think that's where my inherent undying love for radio 
for podcasting, for media and storytelling continues to guide me in different ways. And would I love to have my own podcast? I will have my own podcast. So yeah. Turnabout's going to be fair play. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I've got something brewing you that I'm idea? not prepared to talk All about right. yet. All right. But I will. So okay. I you I will I I hope that you will agree to come on sure, my podcast. Sure. So um but I love it. I love being able to to tell those stories and and tell other people's stories. Very especially cool. when they're great stories. Well tell us the story about the time you ended up going to jail, would you? So <laughs> this is a story that I have never told publicly. Oh no. This, you know what? Is this going to require heavy editing? Uh, no, it actually won't. <laughs> and it actually is very interesting. I'll give you the quick and dirty of this. Um, I had a first husband and he was abusive. Mm. And we were living in the city of Seattle, suburb of Seattle at the time. And our relationship got to a point on this particular evening where I feared for my life. And he was trying to throw me off of our four-story balcony. And so I'm trying to defend myself and push him back and all of this. Well, what I didn't realize is he had already looked at the law and had found out that if he called 911 and created a story that he was being abused, that there is a law that it is a no questions asked removal of the person that is quote the abuser so mm -hmm. whoever calls first is considered the victim wow so he called the 911 said my wife is beating me up well first of all what kind of a loser man has the guts <laughs> to tell a 911 operator i'm getting beat up by my wife <laughs> sorry i know i made a bad choice i can admit that now that's fun. So <sighs> I couldn't believe it. And I didn't know what was happening. And 90 seconds later, a police officer was at, knocking on our front door and asked what was going on. And there is my <laughs> eventual ex-husband, fake tears, crying, telling them how mean I was and I am in shock and disbelief and I'm telling the police officer this is a lie this did not happen I watched him scratch his neck oh. to make it look like I did it I watched him do it and as he's telling I'm like this is no this is a lie and the police officer said to me well ma'am I'm sorry but whoever calls the police First is the victim. Wow. And I've got to put you in handcuffs. Oh my. And I am in handcuffs. And as I'm walking to the squad car out of my apartment, I glance over and see my husband wink at me and mouth the words ha ha and wink at me as he's telling his side of the story to the other officer. Oh. I remember walking and getting shoved into the back. And this guy was mean. This cop was not nice. Mm. He put his hand on my head and shoved me into the back, like pushed me into the back of the police car. And I'm like, but I'm a missionary. I have missionary status. I'm a good person. <laughs> this is a mistake. 
this didn't happen. You're not getting the truth. Well, thank goodness I had a dad who worked for the state of California Department of Corrections, and I had a brother who was a Riverside County Sheriff's deputy. Mm. And I remember in my life them always saying, whatever happens, you do not ever tell a statement. You do not put a statement down. You do not sign anything until you have an attorney present. You wait. You do not sign anything, and you do not put anything down. So... Then I, I'm serious. It was like an unbelievable situation. Like I am above the situation and looking down at everything. And um, I just remember saying a prayer in the back of that squad car and just asking God to be with me and to help give me self-control, to protect me, to give me words to let me forgive hmm. and to, to be able to handle this without fear with grace and dignity. I, I mean, I mean, this is like thinking, wow, my whole life has come down to this. My whole paying taxes, being a good steward, I've never done anything wrong. And to this day right now, as I tell you this, I have never had an illegal substance in my body mm. because I want to act as an honorable person. I want to be an example for my children, for others. Um, I, I, we were taught as children to walk the walk so we can talk the talk. And, you know, and I'm sitting there in the little, in the little investigator's room and they're telling me to write what happened. So I wrote what happened, but I wouldn't sign it. I would not sign that statement. I said, I'm not signing anything until I have an attorney, but this is my side of the story. And he, he's like, well, if you just sign this, then I'll release you, you know, whatever. He kept trying to say that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not signing anything without an attorney. He's like, well, you're going to the big house. Uh I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, we don't have, this was on a Friday night and in Kirkland, they don't have weekend jail, which is interesting because they did Monday through Thursday. So because it was Friday, the next thing I know, I am in a chain gang, chained to other people who've been arrested and I am being and I am put in a van being taken to King County Correctional Facility in downtown Seattle and you know and the next thing I'm getting processed yeah fingerprinted you got a mug shot I've got a mug shot Do you still have although it, it is expunged to this day and and I will Oh, That's yeah. the good part of the story. You, you kind of need to put it on a t-shirt though. Yeah, right? That'd be awesome. That <laughs> <laughs> Look, kind of like the Rambo t-shirts, yeah. right? The Rambo <laughs> mugshot. I'm an ex um, <laughs> And I am literally in a holding cell. And they do the thorough body search. No, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is no messing around because at this point, I'm being charged with a felony abuse. So I, did you have to stay there through the weekend? Yes. Oh, boy. Yes, for two full days and nights. And I just thought, you know what? The Lord just impressed upon me, Joseph, what would Joseph do? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. What would Joseph do? And I got to tell you that in my whole life, I will never forget the sound of the door shutting on a jail cell. And I was on the top bunk because the person had gotten in there before me and gotten the bottom bunk and I'm on the top bunk and I could still to this day remember the sound of the buzzing of the lights in the jail cell. And the lights don't go out at night. 
Those lights are on 24 hours a day so that they can look in the tiny little window and make sure you guys are doing legitimate stuff, right? And, and so the next morning, you know, get up and here I am in this surreal situation. They had the Bible and a board game. The board game was sorry. <laughs> I'm not <All> joking. Right. <laughs> the board game was sorry, the board game. And so the jail cell was disgusting and dirty. So I just thought, well, I got a lot of time on my hands. I might as well get to cleaning. So I cleaned that entire jail cell and I asked for a mop and some soap and whatever. And pretty soon they're calling me the cleaner. The cleaner. <laughs> That's your street name. That's my street cred, I'm baby. I'm the cleaner. I'm the cleaner. <laughs> and, uh, and so they'd bring the bucket out after meals so I could clean. And then they would come and take the bucket because I guess I could make a shiv. I, I don't know what I could make out of the, the handle of the mop. I'm You're not like, sure. Whatever. Hindsight 2020. Hindsight 2020. What I could have done right? with a little bit of free time. But I mean, the things you think about that you miss, like I didn't have a comb. They're like, mm. we're not giving you a comb. Hmm. You know, boy, I was desperate for like a ponytail holder, had no comb. I felt like an urchin, you know, whatever. Now, I had one phone call and I did call my parents and tell them what was going on. And my mom to this day tells the story that my dad, when I told him I was calling from King County Correctional Facility, he jumped five feet straight in the air. What? Because he was Department of Corrections and he worked with really bad felons like murderers, rapists, those kind of guys. My brother same thing as a cop, right? So they both were like, what? What is, Tammy's in jail? Oh my gosh, you know, whatever. And the prayer circles start. And so last day, what I didn't know what was happening behind the scenes was my mom flew up, got on the next plane to Seattle. And I told her, look, they're gonna, I have to go appear in, in the courtroom, Kirkland Court, on Monday morning, my mom flew up, got there in time so that literally they put us in the van. I didn't know all this was happening. They put us in the van. We are being driven. I am shackled with other prisoners being driven to the Kirkland, Ca- Kirkland Courthouse. It's Seattle. It's pouring rain. I Silly me, as we're getting out of the van, I ask if there's an umbrella And the police officer kind of laughs and goes, there's no umbrella. You don't need an umbrella. Again, like these just moments of, by the time we walk from the parking lot to the front of the courthouse, we are all soaking wet. So imagine this, I'm sitting in the courtroom. I have to, I don't have a lawyer. I have to defend myself and speak for myself. I'm in an orange jumpsuit and I'm soaking wet. So as we walk, go to walk into the court, and I was fine. I didn't cry. I was fine. I was positive. I was praying in my mind. I'm like, God, you got, you got this. Thinking every minute the Lord's going to get me through the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, the next 30 minutes. Until I am bound. I have ankle shackles and my hands are in handcuffs on a waist belt. Okay. Orange is a new black, baby. I know exactly. I've been there, okay? Oh. And I'm walking in the doors. They open the doors and I see my mom. And she reaches out 
to hug me like it's going to be okay. That's what a mom does. She reaches out. Like I tear up because I think about that moment. I did nothing to deserve that moment. And at that moment, I felt like I had disappointed my mom. Mm. That is, you know, and, and I, and I wish that people, I think in everybody who commits maybe a crime they didn't want to, there's got to be that moment where they wish that wasn't them, that they had that second chance. Like I didn't do this and you have to believe me, right? I have never told this story. And it's still, after all these years, it gets me because my life, I would not, I don't want to disappoint my mom. I don't want to disappoint myself because I, I do like myself and disappoint my children. I want to live my best life to represent the kingdom, to represent what is possible in America, to live a good, clean, healthy, positive life. And even though I didn't do anything and I see my mom reach out, like in that moment, it's very biblical that's what Christ wants for us. He's there. He is reaching out to every sinner, to each one of us to say, I love you. This is not who you are. I know you. And it's going to be okay. Wow, Keith, that was a moment like right now that I'll never forget because it it made my life real, made choices more important than ever, made the Bible and God's message of redemption real. In that moment, I think about it, I'm, I'm shackled to prisoners. I'm soaking wet. I have to stand before a judge and tell them that I'm innocent, that I haven't done anything. And then there's my mom. And so I go in they, and they grab my mom and they push her away. Say, you cannot fraternize with the prisoners. And so we go in, they sit us down in the front and you know, and everybody's looking. So everybody that's there for other court business, all eyes are on the prisoners, you know, and you really are, you're, you're looking down. You don't want to make eye contact with anybody, right? Cause suddenly you, you're a bad person in society's eyes, shackled, you know, wearing orange. I, I haven't taken a shower in two days. It's unbelievable. So it gets to me and I have to, and I have to pull myself together. I'm by this time though, I have to say seeing my mom and then push her away and all the overwhelming of the situation. I literally sobbed through that whole court hearing. Um, and I think it was a release. I needed that release. I was strong for myself because I had to have a heightened sense of awareness in a situation that could have been potentially dangerous. I didn't know what was going on. I'd never been in that situation before. And so the judge, I have to stand there before the judge. And she's like, what, how do you plead? And I said, I'm innocent. She's like, do you understand the charges against you? They are felony assault charges, minimum five years in prison. And I said, 
yes, I understand. I didn't do this. I'm innocent. And so we get that. That's it. We go through the whole thing. Then the docket for the for the the people that have been arrested, whatever. And then they take us, load us all back up into these vans and we go and my, I hear my mom shout, I'll see you at the facility, you know? So <laughs> I know she's going to the facility to meet me, right? The correctional facility. And so um, they get back and then they put me in a holding room because at that point the judge had said, I'm released. I didn't need to, I had spent two days in jail so I didn't need to have bail or anything like that. And so I'm released on my own recognizance because I had no criminal record, no nothing at all in my history. And so they put me into this holding cell. Well, I'm at a holding cell with this old lady that doesn't have any teeth. <laughs> she's got to be like 70 years old, I swear. And she's she got a mouth like a sailor cussing up a storm. And then there's a girl younger than me, like a Seattleite. She's tatted up all over, just crazy colored hair, whatever. So meanwhile- Did, did they realize that they no, were sharing the cell with the cleaner? No, seriously. Okay, no, no, no. It gets better than that. It gets better. Okay. So I'm sitting there and this the old lady with the mouth on her, sailor's mouth, she comes up. She's well pacing back. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to get like attacked right before I'm getting released. She is pacing in front of me and I'm sitting there. I'm trying to keep quiet, whatever. She's like, you remind me of somebody. I know you. I'm like, you don't know me. I've never been here before. And she's like, no, 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 no. I, you have a face. I've seen you before. And she's talking to this young girl and the girl's like, yeah, what, where have I seen you? I've seen you on something. And they're pacing. And you know, this is probably about a two minute time period. And I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to like throw, come to blows right now and throw it down. And I should have made that shiv when I had the chance. (laughs) So the old lady, she comes up to me no teeth, the worst breath on the planet. And she's in my face and she goes, I know who you remind me of. You remind me of Julia Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, thank you, God. He has, he put the humor in the whole thing. (laughs) And I said, look, when you get out of here, you tell him you were in jail with Julia Roberts. That's going to be the talk of the town. (laughs) And she's like, I'm doing that. That's the best. And within probably 60 seconds, they came and got me and I was able to put the clothes back on that I was wearing. And Keith, I walked out of there. I had nothing I was able that evening with police escort to go back in and get my driver's license, my wallet, my passport, and whatever clothes I could get. And when the policeman made my husband open the door for me, because I was not allowed to go back to that apartment, he was in an anger rage where the policeman was holding him. He was trying to get at me and reach out. I mean, he was a totally different person than the night Mm -hmm. I was arrested. Just crazy Um, anger. It um, It was insane. And then he ended up getting diagnosed with a mental disorder. Mm kind of almost border it was borderline personality disorder he had it was really nut house thing and i was able to pack one suitcase how how are you able to clear your name so over the next six weeks my mom and i lived in a hotel for six weeks wow and i and i that day she called my boss and said 
please take this Tamara needs a sick day. She will be in the next day and um, she will tell you all about it. I had the best boss in the world at the time. And my mom's first words when she processed me out of jail and they're giving me the envelope with all my little belongings and whatever. My mom's like, do you know what time it is? I said, no, what time is it? She goes, it's time to go to Nordstrom's. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go the first place we went there after getting my driver's license all that we went to nordstrom's and she bought me a suit so that i could go to work the next day that night we checked into a residence in kind of a place and spent the next six weeks living out of a hotel with my mom mm. going to work not one person at work knew anything that was going on in my life and again you know at the end of that six weeks, I, I actually was blessed to have a divine appointment with a really great defense attorney. And I told him what happened. Well, the beautiful thing was the defense attorney really didn't need to do that much because my soon-to-be ex-husband turned so psycho, he started stalking the district attorney for the city of Kirkland and the judge. Wow. And going nuts. Oh, and by the way, he, sent, he tried to get, he got um, a letter that he wanted to get through to me while I was in jail saying how sorry he was, but it was really my fault. I still have that letter actually somewhere. And we were able to use that to confirm that he really was borderline personality. Mm -hmm. He was totally out to the point of six weeks after the incident happened, the judge on record apologized for wasting my time threw the case out apologized to the citizens of Kirkland for wasting their taxpayer resources I had an apology from the district attorney and the whole thing ended up getting expunged from my expunged however you say it Mm -hmm. from my record and um, but I have to tell you that how that shape again just an experience that showed me how to act in the most extreme situation you could ever be in in your life, what it means to really fight for real justice, Mm -hmm. to be charged with a major serious crime for something you didn't do. I mean, all these things today that people are trying, so casually throwing out and 99% of them have no idea what they're talking about. It's, it's really amazing to me. And, you know, I have to be honest, I'm sharing this story with you because I feel impre- that that is important. And I think it's, it'll be valuable um, on a couple levels. Number one, I would tell anybody in an abusive situation that you were not put on this earth to be a victim. Mm-hmm. You need to find the courage to get out of that situation because you owe it to yourself. God has something better for you. You must get out of that situation. Um, that's great that that in your case, justice definitely was served. So I'm I'm glad that 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 could have that could have easily been you with even a a, a more of a horror story right? than what you right? experienced uh, as it was. I share this with you because I feel it's important in what mm-hmm. you're doing with the long form podcast, which I really think is valuable. Stories are important. Um, I hope 
you know, that somebody is inspired or hears that and, and it changes you might have, them. You might, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know the repercussions, but I feel it's important to share that. Right. And I think the second thing is I've never known how to really tell this story. Mm. Because in telling this story, it's less about me and it's more about learning. Yeah. So yeah. I and, hope somebody can learn. And, and like I said, you know, I mean, that's a very heavy story, but by telling it, you may end up saving some woman's life maybe maybe or maybe somebody feels that they are worthy of redemption that that their past (laughs) absolutely your past does not define you right you have a choice you have over your career you've come up with multiple ideas uh, in the realm of television that either have been outright had your ideas ripped off right or somebody beat you to the punch sure tell us about roomies roomies oh my goodness i gotta tell you this so so i have a funny philosophy in life and i don't make resolutions at the new year me either i no. I, I disappoint myself yeah 100 of the time 100 of the time so no regrets and no resolutions. That's kind of a personal thing for me. I will say that one of my best college buddies, there were three of us, uh, one of my girlfriends and this gentleman, they were hung out together through the last couple of years of college. And he always wanted to go to Hollywood. He always wanted to be a producer, which he is now, worked with Ashton Kutcher on um, his hidden camera. What, what show was that called? Punked. Yeah. He was uh, executive producer for Punked and has done a lot since well, then. Um, hi, David, wherever you are. Love you, man. Um, and so we had this crazy idea of um, for a script, for a sitcom. So he was living in Hollywood. He was super poor. His apartment was so crappy. But I was uh, my senior year in college and he was already out and he was working. And he's like, why don't you come? We had this idea. We kept talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. He's like, come out for the weekend. We're going to lock ourselves in. I'm just going to stock up on pizza, food, and we're going to knock this script out. So we had to put together the, a treatment and a pilot. And we thought it was really great. It was about living in a crappy apartment in a big city and a whole bunch of friends hanging out. What does that sound like, right? So we thought, let's call it roomies. (laughs) And we, we knocked out the script. We did what every writer is supposed to do. You mail it. What year is this? Uh, this would have been 1989. Oh boy. 1989. And, uh, so we sent it to us. It was postmarked with the date, the whole nine yards. We sent one to him. I have one somewhere. I, I have that still saved, I believe somewhere in my sealed up, sealed up. Mm -hmm. And, um, how many years later, a little show called friends. Oh, no. Why, and why, that so- was our show. And, you know, we were nobodies. We didn't know anyone in Hollywood. Is we, that why it never went it anywhere? It never went anywhere. We tried to shop it around. We tried to get meetings. Do you know how hard it is to, quote, get a meeting to right. pitch a show? So hang on a second. Is there any chance that your script ended up, you know, years later becoming Friends? Like your specific. Yes, script? it is possible. So okay, 
It is possible, but there's no how, there's no yeah. way to prove that. But that script is exactly the Friends sitcom. Was it three guys David and three girls? It, I think it was four. I think it was two guys sure. and two girls. I mean, so it was Friends, yeah. right? But it was living in an apartment, hanging out coffee shop i don't think ours was a coffee shop per se it was more like a diner Uh kind of a diner kind of thing was it new york city it was it was it was a big city that's what it was so it would have been like a big city you're in an apartment because you're hanging out and where he lived in in the heart of hollywood where the super crappy cheap apartments were that was kind of that environment that he lived in too so we could walk to the little cheapo breakfast place and get coffee and hang out and that's where we did some of our brainstorming originally was there a pet monkey because that's a red flag yeah there was no pet monkey but it was just a bunch of friends and it was nothing but those friends talking about their daily lives and the crazy situations they got themselves into all of that so anyway no regrets and in your gut do you think in my gut i'm like was ripped off or do you think it was just a coincidence you know in my (laughs) gut i i'm i'm gonna say it was ripped off because we did send it out you know to try to get meetings and stuff because that's what you do in hollywood to try to get meetings you got to send the script and then somebody reads the script as you're calling whatever and you do that. But you know what? Um, good for them. And, and here's the thing in my, who am I going to, who am I going to go after? Who am I going to sabotage? I wouldn't even know who would have, would have taken that idea per se. So to attribute it to one person, I, I don't know. There's no proof, but I will say, hmm. I'm a funny gal. Yeah. I am, I earned that See? class clown moniker. <laughs> I earned it. And I will say, you know, that is not the only show of mine that's been ripped off, I guess. I know. Um, I know. But, you but know. NDAs being what they are. Yes. <laughs> you can't talk about all that stuff because, you know what? Bad blood. There's enough of that negativity going around. Sure. But, you know. I uh, I don't know what's what's coming up, but I will say that there's always opportunity. Well, you be there's, sure to let us know. You better believe it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time. Tamara Colbert, the creator of Friends. No, I, I'm going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the creator of Roomies. The creator of Roomies. Yes, there you go. There you go. Uh, thank you so much for spending time. It's uh, It's been a treat. So there you have it. Uh, class clown, Tamara Colbert. Is she or is she not the creator of Friends? Hmm. Hey, if you get a chance, please head over to atthemikeshow.com where you can find all of the past shows. Uh, You can contact me through the website. You can leave a voicemail. You can chip in for a cup of coffee if you like. Uh, Please do rate and review this show wherever possible. And please do share this podcast with your friends. That's how the show is going to grow. I hope you'll look around the webpage. That's at themikeshow.com. And as always, I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. And I do look forward to our next time together right here on At The Mic. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. 